Good morning, afternoon, evening, night, whenever you find it most convenient to listen to the Men in Red 97 podcast. As always, I am Alan, the pole with the goal, and that goal is to get better. This At this point, my weekend was just me coming home on Friday with a scratchy throat and just going through the entirety of Labor Day weekend with a cold. So that was fun. And I'm, of course, joined by my lovely, lovelies of co-hosts, DJ. Hola, como estas? And Tim. Great to be back. By the way, I'm very glad that you're the guy with the goal because um, that is something the Flyer have not had in a very <laughs> long time. Yeah, it's it's a bit it's been a while. And we will definitely dive into that in this episode because in this in this particular episode, we go over two games in which the Fire have scored zero goals. Actually, you can scratch that. We did have a goal just the other way. It's, I don't know. I don't know. So, going off, for, going off first um, with the game that happened on the, I'm pretty sure it was the last day, or the second to last day of August, um, Wednesday, which was the Fires' 1-0 loss to Vancouver. Um, Tim, you, you were right in saying that this was going to be a fun game. Unfortunately, it, it, it this was another game in similarity to the LA game where one thing happened that immediately just ruined the rest of the game, which was all of a sudden, I thought... Brady, we this happened on the other side of the stadium for where we were. You know, I thought Brady made a save. All of a sudden, you know, we hear a whistle. The players are just standing. No one has any idea what's going on. And we just see a bunch of Vancouver players like gathering together as if they're celebrating a goal. There's no replay or anything being shared or whatnot. Everyone in the stadium is absolutely confused what was going on. Not just the stadium. I was in the press box for that. And None of us really had an idea, and someone was like, a goal, I think. And actually, there's I, I happen to be seated next to the people that do the statistics. So, like, these are the people that, like, put in the data that get reported when you, like, Google what's going on in a game or stuff like that. Um, and what ultimately feeds, like, the MLS stats and stuff. And and they were like, uh, goal? Like, like, <laughs> like they were, there's two of them, and they were, like, talking to each other. Like, guys, is that what we saw? Um... So yeah, it was um it was something. Um, Chris Brady, by the way, after the game, uh, was adamant about the fact that it, he didn't think that it went in, and that if MLS had goal line technology or if there were more camera angles available for that area at Soldier Field, because you know Soldier Field being an NFL stadium has tons of cameras, just not really at that part of the field because that's not as important if you're an NFL team, um, and he believes that it didn't go in. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, this was from, this was from the other side. This was on the North end of the stadium. So it wasn't as clear to me. And of course there wasn't, there wasn't as much of a clear angle, even on the replay. And like you mentioned, they're just, it, it was just so difficult to see. Even once they showed the replay afterwards, it was, just immensely difficult to see whether yeah no there, there wasn't a clear gone. angle that anyone saw in the press box or anyone saw anywhere else and you know Brady talked to the to the staff um, based on what he said at least and it, it seemed that they didn't see a clear angle where it went in um you know it it is what it is like the, the goal counted it was the 19th minute so it's not like this is like a late winner like that's the other side of this is you go down by a goal at home in the 19th minute, which is obviously not the ideal game plan, but I mean, that doesn't have to be fatal, you know? There is, like, no clear angle where you can see the ball like, fully crossing over it. It would have have to been, like, the millimeter before, it would have to be, not the millisecond or something before Brady got his hand on it and put it onto the line. So, yeah, at first I thought there, I there was some sort of goal line technology, where like MLS does not have goal line technology. They they have VAR. They do. They have not implemented goal line technology. That's well, I mean, yeah, I, I know it's it's a discussion. You know, there's there's a conspiracy theory as to why where if they started implementing goal line technology, like 
but it, it just the the fact of the matter is that it just isn't um something that's available um yeah. part of it you know allegedly is the number of cameras that would need it to be used i mean like there's some other stuff but yeah i mean Brady, for his part, he said that, you know, basically he thought that there weren't good camera angles on it. Um, it was unfortunate there isn't goal line technology. And it's one that he really believes if there was goal line technology that that he would have gotten back. And he feels like it's, you know, disappointing to to him and the team that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, nonetheless, that Vancouver game, even like you mentioned, if the goal hadn't gone in, that is a game that would have probably ended nil nil either way because afterwards I just a clear pattern from the fire where we have incredibly predictable attacks into the final third I feel there's nothing there's nothing truly there like there's nothing that's truly like aggressive or threatening in terms of the fire's attack into the final third whether it's one of the wing backs or just someone going on the wing and attempting to cross in the ball uh, cross the ball into the box where you'll already have like four or five opposition players and only two fire players so it immediately gets booted or headed away or even if it does reach a fire player it's just volleyed way up over the way over the uh, bar or just like headed to nowhere so i feel like in terms of creativity when in terms of like the fire actually creating chances to score there's not much there so yeah i, I mean like i think that's 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 a fair assessment i believe i mean it, it it's kind of funny that you said that you thought it was a fun game because i i really thought like vancouver had been getting like three or four expected goals like something in that range for the past few matches um and i just thought they didn't really show up for the match i thought the fire obviously showed up less but like i have to say you know watching the game you know, in the press box when Alex was doing the match recap. So I really didn't have a lot of like official duties or anything like that, other than, you know, going to the post game conference and stuff. I thought it was not that interesting of a game and like the XG, I mean, I think we're something like a, like a buck and a half for the fire and like two and then bit for the, I'll look it up. Yeah. 1.27 for the fire and 2.14 for the white caps. So like, you know, that's I think fun not in the nothing, sense, but it, yeah, I think fun in the sense of just the overall just fun going to a game and just being with the supporters. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good atmosphere. I mean, you know, having said uh, like, you know, 9,100 people shut up. So that wasn't fantastic. But I think the supporter section was there. I think that there were that they were loud, um, you know, especially considering the number of people that were in the stadium overall. Maybe that was part of it. It's just that was the only sound that was available. But, um, you know, in terms of like, a, like if I was a neutral watching that game on TV, I, I don't think it would have been a phenomenally interesting experience. But, yeah. you know, the fire were actually getting some chances. I didn't really realize that as much until the rewatch, but, um, you know, they, they weren't getting as deep as the white caps were but they were getting in chances they did have some chances on the in the box you know kai kamaro had um a couple of good touches that looked like they really could have or maybe should have been goals um inside guti had some too i mean both seem to be a little bit snake bit with actually getting shots inside the net as opposed to like around it at this point um and you know the fire lacked a final touch and ultimately you know, it's it's the result I think the fire deserved, if if we're being 100% honest about it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, there were some moments, um, especially at the beginning. You had, I th it was in the ninth, tenth minute, where you had Kai running in through on goal for, with, from a through ball from Guti, and it was just a really good save from um, the Vancouver goalkeeper. You had another, uh, Guti had another moment that was also fairly close. Um, where he ended up, I think, where he ended up slipping, essentially. Um, he was, like, right near the right side of the post, and he ended yeah. up just slipping right onto his back. Um, those were, like, the two really early chances that the Fire did have. But, like I said, the moment that Vancouver scored, I felt like the Fire just sort of reverted back to their 
original usual state of just so the yeah. the fire did play out of a system with three in the back um kind of like two wing backs uh a, you know double pivot and then sort of three like a, a front line of three sort of like guti and shack were sort of like playing like the double 10 and kai kamara was the lone striker um mm-hmm. And that's the way they played in the first half. It's the first time that we've seen that in, I want to say, since May. Um, you know, after that, Klopas basically reverted to a, a 4-2-3-1, which the Fire had been playing for the past two years. Um, and that's what we saw in the second half when um, Arno Suke came on for the first time in about a month. And then the Fire started playing out of four. So, you know, I think the formation may have been a little bit of a part of it. Um, Klopas said that he was just trying to respond to what Vancouver was, you know, already doing. To be honest, I find that kind of um, to be a little bit of a perplexing answer because I I don't think when you're playing at home in a midweek match when, you know, both teams have had games and will have games, I, I don't necessarily know that you should be responding to what you believe the other team's tactics might be. I kind of think that it's up to you to sort of like set the tone and play the formation and the tactics that you think are going to be the best chance to score. Um, but regardless, I mean, you know, it didn't work out. I, I think the fire did look better in the second half after they did the the formation shift. Um, I don't think that necessarily resulted in any, you know, absolutely phenomenal chances. Obviously, there wasn't a goal. but I thought it was more consistent than what we saw in the first half where the fire really didn't seem like they were on their back foot for a lot of it. Yeah. I just, one thing that's also just, I would say aggravated me is the fact that we as, uh, and, and we as in terms of fire fans have noticed what seems to be a lack of just effort by a lot of these players, a lot of the fact, a lot of the times we've noticed that a lot of fire players, they, it's, it it seems almost like a PSG moment where this is a team of individuals rather than a team. Whenever I, you see a, a player that has the ball, and there's sort of that missing communication, that sort of free flowingness, where the fire are just so they're they're rigid they're stuck and the only time that the ball is able to move freely is sort of like i've been saying for the past few weeks and that sort of u shape that horse shoe shape uh just through the the wing backs and the wingers back through the defenders because they're not really under pressure because the the the, the the opposition players are moving from one side to the other. But the moment when they do try to move the ball forward, you'll see a lot of players as if they're almost trying to show off what kind of like skills they have with their feet. But then a lot of the times they'll just oh so silly, silly end up giving the ball away. Like there were so many moments from all these players that I've noticed that are just, they have possession of the ball. And then when they go to pass it, they just immediately either pass it like to an, to a Vancouver player or just nowhere, essentially. So I feel... Yeah, no, I think that you're right about that. I think that that's been a problem for the Fire, you know, this season under Klopas and before that under under Hendrickson. Like, the, they are slow to set up on offense. And when they do, it seems to be very pre-planned movements, which are like go to the wide channels. And like the the number of times that I've seen a fire player that is like literally a hundred percent standing still at one of the wide channels, typically the the one on the left if you're playing on the offense, and just waiting for a pass, and then they get that pass, and then they take a couple seconds to set, and then it goes to like a blind cross, or like maybe they play it to the ten. By that point, the defense is one hundred percent ready and and just there to to get whatever the fire are throwing at them. Yeah, so no, the fire it, typically rely on like blind crosses, you know, yeah, which are never effective at scoring goals. No, and it's and even in the moments like in the beginning of the game where they had the, they had moments um of like genuine attack like genuine counterattacking play from the midfield up forward like Kai had in the beginning or Guti like in those first 
10, 20 minutes, there's not really much apart from that. Like, there's apart from those kind of, you know, counterattacking moments, when the fire themselves, the moment the ball stops moving in the midfield, like towards the final third, I always am I'm immediately like, nothing's going to come out of this. Like it's because the fire are too slow to set up. They're static and they, they don't want to move. And and that's not the fault of individuals. Like that becomes a systems and a way that you practice, the way that you train, what players are expected to do and where their positions are expected to be, kind of thing. I mean, it's there's, just there's super just no rigid. way around that. It's rigid. Right. It's, it's very rigid. Like I said, like when when you have a guy that is like like literally standing still, waiting to receive a pass on the wide channel, um on a consistent basis, which the fire will do. Like the next time that you're watching or rewatching a fire game, like just watch, you'll see there a guy, you know, depending on who's exactly playing, um, it'll vary a little bit, but frequently it'll be, you know, one, like a wing back player or the guy on the left wing, they will just be static waiting to receive that pass. Mm-hmm. And that's always wide. It, it, and you know, it's the fire believes or like, you know, the last time I talked to like people that were, kind of involved with the the team's um offensive planning and stuff like they they believe that they have an advantage when they play wide which um i don't know if that's really the case but it's always the wide channel you never see anyone trying to do anything in the half spaces and when you look at really successful teams at the top levels of the game like they win and lose battles in the half spaces like that's where that happened yeah and when i go um, you know, looking at some replays like an attempt from Gutierrez right at the beginning of the second half, there was a long ball from the mid f- right to the outside of the box from Marin Holly Selassie. You see him taking a really not good first touch, essentially like him having to take a second to keep the ball on the floor when he passes it through to Brian Gutierrez. He needs to slow down a bit, almost like he's stumbling in order to retrieve the ball. And it and it it just seems it almost seems like these players are uncomfortable playing in the style that they're currently playing at like i've mentioned when they cuz i can see what those people you mentioned about the fire playing decently on the wings because it's true that there are moments where the fire can really explode out into the wings whether it's from Marin Halasalase or um Brian Gutierrez, or even like someone like Kai Kamara, uh, Miguel Navarro, or one of the other wingbacks. It's just that problem, like I said, that the opposition in, in Vancouver in this case, they knew what was going to happen. They just crowded the box. There was no one else in there, and they can just pretty much, for the most part, head it away. It's, no, it becomes very predictable. It becomes predictable. It becomes... And it just... The number of times that you'll see a fire player on offense try to pass the ball to someone who is not really moving is is just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like one of those things. Like the, the joke that I've been making to people is that you know with the fire not having scored in as long as they have, like I'm not really an expert, but I believe that scoring goals is important to winning football games, and that's thing the fire haven't been doing. And it's the same thing with like. I'm not really an expert with this, but it just seems that if you're taking a pass when you're just standing still, you're not likely going to beat a professional soccer player trying to defend you. Like that's just, it, you know, kind of is just common sense at that point. But that is a thing the fire have been doing again and again. One, one thing that I actually thought of when the goal on that goal, uh, wasn't there a time where there was a fifth official? Based right on the goal line. They did that for a couple of years. Yeah, that that okay. wasn't a, a permanent thing yet. I mean, and the idea was that like they would sort of be like there for the goal. Um, I mean, I think that was also an MLS experiment for a while. The same time that they decided to have two head referees because that's obviously a thing that will never cause issues. Um, but that's you know it's no longer a thing i mean obviously like goal line technology exists i actually think that there's a version i forget what it's called it's like some kind of a predatory bird and eye like hawkeye eagle eye something like that that um the usl has implemented uh the usl championship has but they don't do var 
And so it sort of feels like you've got to choose between one and the other in North America. From one pile to the next, we move on to, to our nation's capital, D.C., and whatever happened there. A whole load of bull. A whole load. So in the sort of last few minutes, like I mentioned, I wasn't able to watch the game. I was nursing a cold, and I just knew I shouldn't watch this game or it'd make me feel really bad, and I, I didn't. And the only thing I remember is um, our good pal Logan here at MIR um, tweeting out saying, you know, Christian Benteke hasn't scored in a while, which means he's going to score against the fire. Not only did that happen, it happened twice. And so looking back on this, um, looking when I'm looking back on the highlights, seeing everything happen, once again, th- this very similar thing to what I've been saying in terms of players being rigid. But in this case, this is not just a case of players being rigid. These are players being clueless. The, there's absolutely, I can like make that one joke that one that one um that there's like that one Chelsea streamer that's like there's no passion there's no vision there's no like nothing about this football club, and that is essentially everything. They're, like this team has no idea what they're doing. There I like I'm watching. The it, it should absolute, have been a winnable game, right? Like that's that's yeah. like. 50,000 foot view of it. The Fire were playing a game against a team that was two points behind them in the standings. Same number of games. Um, They just lost one of their best players. I mean, in terms of their ability to kick a ball around, not best in terms of being a human being because Taxi Fontes for the second time was dodged by allegations of racism and um, or like was a give like leveled with an allegation of racism and this time even though again there was no actual like smoking gun um dc finally decided to concede and do the obvious thing and and say that he wasn't welcome member of their club anymore um so missing a player of that caliber and not being able to replace him should have made this game a lot easier on top of that dc system very significantly relies on their goalie to almost play like a combination of like a an extra center back, almost like a six that is like one of those six that can distribute the ball really well. And that guy is Tyler Miller. And Tyler Miller was injured for that game, leaving Alex Bono to be the goalkeeper in net. And he does not play the ball that well. So missing two pieces that significant at both ends of the pitch, like this, sh- I mean, there's no MLS game that's going to be a walk in the park for anyone, but like this should have been a winnable game going yeah. into the fire. I'm watching this and like this was very much DC saying we know how rigid the fire can be and how they can stand still and they absolutely took advantage of that. Basically every single goal including the goals that were called off for offsides those were absolutely moments of DC just catching the fire off guard just completely exploding into attack and none of our defense was prepared or ready this could have definitely been an an even bigger blowout not only was this fire team rigid and just clueless about everything they they had their minds were in the gutter essentially looking at this this was not this is a team that that did not essentially study for their test this is a team that thought they could, that like you said, they're, you know, Frankie and whoever the staff probably told them the same thing you told the, you told our listeners right now. And they said, oh, this could be a walk in the park. And yet they did not study and they were just completely blown out. Losing 4 nothing is just a lot. Like it's, it's the largest loss for the fire since um, that early season loss. I want to say in March or April, maybe it was May 2021 against Nashville when the fire basically had one player not going to name names that was playing for the other team just in terms of the giveaways you know of course replays don't re- replays on youtube it's only like 7 minutes apart from the whole the whole spiel that's going on but 
Yeah, no, DC dominated like DC dominated that game. Legitimately, like if you divide the game into minutes, like and just had to give a point for every minute that you know, like to one team or the other, and there were no draws, you know, through 90 of them. I think that the fire maybe won like two or three. Like it was not it was not a close game. Um the one thing I will say is that Sergei Boyko was the referee, and that has typically been a factor for the fire losing. And this time, it was absolutely not a factor whatsoever. So I just, I mean, it's tiring to, you know, because I mentioned it in in the Orlando game that that refereeing was very much not it. And now, you know, saying that it's, we all know the case of MLS or CONCACAF referees, but it's like, like, just come on, just, just come on. And I, I love I love bringing this guy up because he definitely is one of my favorite MLS content creators. Elias or this week in MLS, he does his little like fan reactions um, of the match week, and at the very end, he had the fire and he just said, "Leave us alone." And that's literally what it feels like, and just like just leave us alone. Like like we're like what is going on? What 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 is going on? Like I I genuinely looking at this team, looking at the highlights and everything. The position where we're at and once again we have that whole thing of oh you know before the league's cup the fire we're very much in a good position to play uh for a pl- push for a playoff position you know with five wins out of six and all of a sudden after league's cup they go ahead and lose all four now with another international break on the horizon you know what is What's going to happen now? Is the fire going to actually like figure something out, or is is that downward slope trend going to continue? Like, what's going to happen? Who knows? So I have a bit of a hot take on this, just because of the international break coming up. Mm-hmm. The fire need to move on from Kai Kamara and Casper Chibuko. Like at I this mean, point, we need to grab another striker. Whoever's available in free agency, grab them. I don't care. I, I mean, it's, I don't think that's uh, well. So the the free the MLS window, like even including free agents, closes in a week and a half. Um, and the fire may have some space, depending on if they move numbers around. I think the question becomes if you choose, if you believe that your heights is the guy to be making those decisions, um, and, and like what that would be, because you're not going to sign a free agent and say like, "Hey, you want to play for us for like." you know, a few weeks and then just go your way. Like, do you want to sign a guy to like a three-year contract or something like that? Because you've got a problem at striker right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fairness, the fire have done that before. They did it with a uh, Mosesian. They've done it with like Guillermo Franco. They've done it before where they just bring a guy in for the last few weeks. They listen, just do whatever. At the very least, they need to start starting Kutsius. Like Kutsius has to be. In all honesty, at this point, I'm even kind of saying start Herbers up top. Because Herbers has more goals than any of our strikers since Klopas took over. Frank Klopas did seem to be a little bit confused about. Not confused, like he just seemed to be perplexed by why the fire didn't have that final touch and i mean obviously like the final touch like the the purpose of your striker is to have that final touch um because they were getting you know into the box and getting chances against vancouver not as much against dc but that has been an issue um i mean honestly like I, i don't know if there's really a solution to it um i will say macro picture the fire went into this stretch after the league's cup with a around 70% chance of making the playoffs. And now they've got just under a 70% chance of missing the playoffs based on the math that I've done. So that says something about what four games can do in this league um, when they're all losses and just the, the hole the fire have kind of dug themselves into the League's Cup really came at a really bad time for the fire. End of story. Yeah. I mean, that's one interpretation of it. I, I, I'm not sure that that's the only one. Um, I think part of it, like when you he- hear ex-players talk about things, like they 
they kind of say that there's these games in like midsummer where like you know you had the early games and you like you kind of like figured out who you are and your identity and stuff like that and then it's like you're playing two games a week for a while between the international breaks and it's like you you just sort of like lose this like you just kind of like lose drive like no matter i mean these are obviously professional athletes and so that's like a matter of degrees it's not like these guys are not trying at all but like you know ex-players have talked about there being this like kind of like mid-late summer like what the hell is going on in this league there's 34 games and some of them don't matter that much and the fire typically do really well in those games and then those games end and like you know like the playoff picture starts coming into focus and the fire typically go you know start dropping in the standings at that stage so i mean that to me is the issue potentially is that like when other teams are turning it on because they're getting focused for the playoffs, the fire are kind of like, they don't have that extra gear because they've already just been playing kind of at, at their level, whatever that is. Yeah. And like you mentioned with the strikers, you know, strikers are someone that should have that final touch. Strikers are also supposed to be the people that are in the right place at the right time. Um, in terms of receiving those passes and putting them into the back of the net. And a lot of the times, as we've noticed, with those plays on the wing, where you'll have a wing back or a winger, you know, run up the wing and then throw a cross in there, usually there's no one there other than like three or four defenders of the opposition team. So, you know, it's not just the problem of that final touch. It's also the problem of just being at the right place at the right time because, up from all of our strikers, even Katzbed, when you're at the right place at the right time, even the most jankiest of touches can put the ball into the back of the net. It's just that a lot of, in terms of the, how rigid and just how clueless sometimes the players are, they're just not at the right place, you know, at the right time. You know, sometimes they're not at the place at all. No matter what time they're it's, it's not just strikers, too. Like, that's the other thing. Like, if you're depending be on a striker anyone. to score 100% of your goals, right. This is, like, this is an overall problem. Just no one's there at the right place at the right time. And that's something that we saw. So, like, one of the, one of the things that was, you know, evident is that as strong as Guti is at a lot of parts of being a number 10, the best number 10 in the history of the game is Leo Messi. And he scores a ton of goals. That is not a skill that Brian Gutierrez currently really has. And we saw that, I think, at the past couple of games where he had some good chances and just was not able, for whatever reason, to get the final touch. Some of it was bad luck, but, like, some of it is, like, making your own luck, and that's something that he wasn't able to do. Deep breath in, deep breath out. You know, the fire out of technically are, have dropped into 10th position in the Eastern Conference. Um... And are out of that playoff spot, so we'll see what is we'll see what is to come. What is to come right now is the international break. So, meaning we assume that means the two usual players that get called up are being called up. Of course, Jordan Shakiri being called up to Switzerland, Miguel Navarro being called up to Venezuela. But we also have Jairo Torres being called up to the under twenty three of Mexico, which is um. You know, good on him, I guess. So I guess the like upshot is uh, that's two games for Shakiri. I believe two games for Miggy as well. I'm I'm not 100 sure on what the Mexico U23 schedule is. Um, but Shakiri, the the two matches are Saturday, September 9th against Kosovo in a UEFA qualifier uh, for the Euros, rather, uh, and then on Tuesday against Andorra. So the, the mighty, mighty Andorrans. That that giant of European of European football. I know. Um and then I believe that Miggy's games are Thursday, uh September seventh, which may have happened by the time this comes out against Colombia. So be prepared for some confusing flag colors mm-hmm. and um then against Paraguay, which does not include Gaston Jimenez <laughs> any longer. Um, on Tuesday, Saturday, uh, September 12th. So we do have uh, exactly from the date of recording, we have 12 days until the until <clears throat> MLS resumes once again. 
And from then onwards, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games left, um, which the next one include away to Montreal, away to Columbus, and then home to the Revolution. Um, Montreal, um, of course, they uh, they sit right above where we used to be in ninth, um, just three points ahead with 11 wins. Only two draws this season, but 14 losses. So they actually have lost more than the Fire, but they in turn have one more as well because the Fire have right. eight draws um, underneath their belt as well. And that's a good model for how you make the playoffs in this league because the Fire were getting a ton of draws and those ultimately don't help that much. The first tiebreaker, if you're even on points, is wins. And that was going to hurt the fire for the longest time. They haven't had a draw in in like literally ages. Um, I believe the last draw they had in league play may have been Toronto in May. May. Yeah, May thirty first. Um, so it's been a long time. They so that that part at least has been going right. But right now, Montreal are three points ahead of the fire with thirty five points. They're even on games, so it is a chance for the Fire to really push themselves back in that playoff picture. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the you've got to actually do the work, but um they they can do it. Like that that's the thing. Like this is like this is the Montreal team that has a number of flaws. It is nothing like the Montreal team that they had last year. Um, a lot of those players have gone, the coach has left. Like it's it's a very different team. It's a winnable game. Yeah. Um, you know, even though it's an away game. And hopefully with the next two in the next two weeks during the international break, um, for you know, the three players that do go on international that do go on international tour, as well as the players here, something just resets in the same way as it is reset for the worse after the League's Cup, it'll reset maybe for the better. Um and then it for the up and the for the remainder of the um for the games here um of course yeah i mean legitimately it's 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 exciting to see that um jairo torres is still getting attention from the you know mexico i mean even if cu23 is not like the senior team obviously Mm -hmm. like that's exciting and i mean to be honest i think that it becomes a question of he's been dealing with very serious injury issues from the time that he got here and once you no longer are dealing with physical injury issues, you're still dealing with the emotional overhang that that has. I mean, just um, look at Wyatt Amsberg. I mean, that's yeah. a perfect exhibit of someone that has been doing really great, got injured, and is just having that trouble returning to conf- uh, getting that confidence back or getting to that position where they were beforehand. Um and they're just, you know, just slowly being phased out. I know some people have their opinions on Hiro. Some people still believe that he has something in him. I know some people think that he just does not have the worth ethic anymore. Um, I personally am inconclusive, really, to Hiro because, like I, like I mentioned, injuries. How could you know, though? Right? Like, like that's the thing. Like the the injury factor is it makes it a huge incomplete. Yeah. And the the fact is, like, no one can deny that he has not lived up to his billing. He's not been earning the salary. He's not been earning the DP label. Like, that's that's undeniable. The mm-hmm. question is if he can. And, I mean, if you're a Fire fan, like, what you hope is that he start, can start doing that. Because whether you want to keep him or whether you want to sell him or whatever, like, it is better for him to be a player that is doing well. And... Sometimes people just need a change of atmosphere and a change of pace, and that can give them some confidence. And if this can do that, then that's great. You know, I mean, honestly, like that, that'd be fantastic. Um, you know, like Hiro has never done anything as far as I know that has been th- like, there's no reason for any fire fan or anyone else to not wish the guy well. Yeah. You know, the, the guy has, you know, the guy has played, I think, to the extent of his ability. I think that he, I mean, he's a young guy that. I, to be honest, don't think was fully aware of what drugs he was being given <laughs> and what that was what that was doing to his body. I mean, like, I'm not trying to use that, like, euphemistically. I just, I legitimately think that, like, 
when you're young and you're injured and it's serious, like you just trust the doctors and you trust the physios. And I think that especially at Atlas, he was not getting the best advice. I think that that was a shock when the fire realized the extent to which that was the case. Um, and he's never really been able to get on the front foot here. So if he can get on the front foot for Mexico in the U23s and then come back and bring some of the energy for us, that's great. Like, that's great for him. Like, you know, there's no reason not to wish him well as a person. And that's great for us as a team. Yeah, like you mentioned, a change of atmosphere can always help. Um, whether in any situation, you know, um, not just for a, as a player, but as a person. A change of atmosphere, even if it's just for a brief minute or a second, just to, you know, get into a different headspace, think about what needs to be done next, and then coming back and moving on. So, you know, hopefully his time in Mexico for the with the under-23s can hopefully bring about that because I'm pretty sure a lot of people are, you know, while understanding of his injury as well as his problems are still on the fact that, you know, we have a designated player that is not playing essentially that is that we're essentially playing with just two designated players one of which is very interestingly interestingly being used as a designated player um and the other it's a technical move it's a it's a roster move he was never assigned to be like a designated player going forward the way that yeah. jack was so yeah, yeah that's fair yeah and i know a lot of people in the a lot of people within the fire faithful have been like oh, look at all these teams, and by all these teams, I mean Miami, making all these moves and whatnot. And why can't the Fire do that? And then it's like, well, you have to look at who the Fire have in the front office, who the Fire have in charge of making those moves. Do you trust that person to continue making these moves that are continuously getting us nowhere? And um, I know some people have said that this year they would actually prefer the fire not to make it into playoffs because they think that if the fire do make it to playoffs, that heights does that heights will get extended. That's a rumor that I've heard from, uh, you know, a place. I, I don't think that it's necessarily that well sourced. Um, you know, it becomes a challenge of if it's not going to be heights, like, you know, there's always, uh, and I think that this is why heights was extended in the first place. There's the devil, you know, um, rather than the devil you don't and sometimes the, you know you go to the devil you know it's just it's 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 frustrating from from all parties and that I can't understand and hopefully we can get to someone that we can trust hopefully um find the fire equivalent of Ryan Poles that can that as Ryan Poles is currently cooking for the Bears, can also cook for the fire. So hopefully that, but, you know, that's that's still a while away before that could even happen. But yeah, I mean, your point about, like, making signings and, I mean, the LA Galaxy, who the fire played, you know, in the past two weeks, um, when we're recording, they, they have transfer restrictions right now. They couldn't sign anyone basically that required an international transfer certificate, which means anyone playing for a, a club overseas. And they still managed to make six changes in the mid-season window for, for MLS, which is obviously like the larger window in Europe, but it's not traditionally when MLS teams make the greater number of changes. They did that when they were outside of a playoff spot, um, looking in, believing they could make their way to a, the playoffs. The fire made one change um, in the offseason while being in a playoff spot. And so maybe that's an example of being confident and standing pretty. But like realistically, I think that everyone knew that there were roster issues and they needed to be addressed. And the fire brought in one player who's actually, you know, been decent at, you know, for stretches, um, kind of anonymous and others, which I was a little bit surprised by. But um, that's still, you know, Basically, a non-off-season off-season on top of a off-season where the fire, you know, in January, like in the preseason window, they really didn't make a ton of changes either. So yeah. part of that may be that Heights knows that he's got some restrictions on him and has one foot out the door. Although what I've been hearing is that he realistically had um, the ability to make a lot of uh, signings if he wanted to. But... Um, 
Yeah, that's, I mean, like, that's what I was wondering, whether he had any, as a, the general manager, whether he had any restrictions based on, like, what teams he was able to go, like, deal with or, like, specifically, like, when, for any of us baseball fans out there that are interested in the White Sox, you know, they recently have gotten rid of their general manager slash vice president, and it was revealed that he himself was only able to do like business with like two teams or something like that. Like the, that they themselves had a basic decent amount of um, like restrictions. So, you know, to no, Heights doesn't have restrictions with who he can, who he can make deals with it, it. You know, like there may or may not have been restrictions around signing certain kinds of players and certain, you know, budget um, areas, but that was it. Yeah. So, it, it, it's it's just it's just very very interesting very interesting to hear. Um, DJ, have you have you any any words of wisdom to add on to this? At this point, uh, yeah, Heights is gone, so it doesn't really matter. Honestly, yeah. like I said earlier, with signing players, if he can if we can sign one player for the rest of the season, and that's that, great. Because right now it's a case of. If you go in and sign a player for a long-term contract, what's the next guy going to say? Considering the fact we don't even know who the next guy could be, we have an idea of a couple of the guys that it could be, but we don't know who it's going to be. We don't know where they're coming from, how much experience they're going to have, etc. I mean, at this point, it's like, as little impact as Heights can have, I'm good with. Yeah. Uh I'm on also on the train of this point. The season's going to play off to how it is playing off. Heights will say, "Hey, you tried, but unfortunately, it wasn't enough." Uh, goodbye. So, also the the window is closed, so the fire could still sign free agents, but that would be it. And you know, you're not going to sign a free agent to a you know six month contract or something like that. Like that's realistically not going to be what's going to happen. So the fire have the roster they have. Yeah. We have who we have. And at this point, I don't know whether it's the players needing a good slap, as someone said, after Man United lost six to Spurs a few years ago, if, if they need a good slap or whether Frankie Klopas needs to go to the whiteboard and fix some things around in the next two weeks, when the Fire do return to league action on Saturday against Montreal and then Wednesday against um, the crew, both of them away, we'll see something different. We'll see, hopefully, Fire players that are more comfortable with the ball, that are not frozen, not rigid, and just just playing better at this point. Because even if the result isn't exactly what we wanted. As long as we see some sort of progress being made with the actual like performance on the pitch, because in the last few games, i.e. the games since the league cup, it's just not pretty to watch the fire. It's like, it's almost embarrassing, like just the way how the fire been playing. So if they can at least put up a fight, that would be an improvement. Of course, that comes. This comes a bit too late in the season, considering the the amount of games we have left and how close we are. So here's the thing: realistically, the the fire need eleven points, maybe twelve at this like to make the playoffs. Um, they have seven games left, so obviously four wins out of seven gets you in the playoffs. You know, three wins and a couple of draws may get you in the playoffs. There aren't a lot of spaces for losses. Um, and so it's not out of like it like legitimately, like so if the fire win against Montreal, they start really being back in that picture again. And if they win against Montreal and then they're able to get even a point against Columbus, like that's firmly in the picture. Um you know, and like there's there's no teams that the fire are facing that don't have their own flaws going forward. Even Miami. Um, yeah, like Miami have like 
And Miami, the, the thing is, like, it's a midweek game when the Fire play Miami on October 4th. And they had a draw against Nashville, so that proved that Messi is actually, like, a mortal human being. Hmm. They won against LAFC in a game where Carlos Vela just looked like he was just tired from before the game started. Um, but they can only afford to drop points in three or four games for the rest of the season if they want to make the playoffs. By that point, that's their third last game. They could legitimately know whether they're out of the playoffs or not. And if they're out of the playoffs, I mean, in a midweek game, I don't know if Messi plays. Like, I, I just, like, maybe he does. Maybe he just does for fun. Like, I, I don't know. But, like, it's a different atmosphere than it being a must-win game for them. Um, or maybe he does. And, like, maybe they are really pushing to get a win. And, like, that can cause an opening that causes that allows for there to be a goal on the other side. Like, I don't know, but... And and also to, to put in consideration that Miami do have one extra game along with Houston for the final of the U.S. Open Cup. Exactly. Like, they're, they're putting a lot... Like, there's going to... And Messi is going to be missing time. He's going to be flying to South America for the same um, World Cup qualifiers that Miggy is flying to the other part of South America for. So, like, he's going to be missing at least two or three games. There's also October matches... Um, that are also World Cup qualifiers. So, like, there are going to be mess like matches that Messi is not going to be available for, and they have to get points. Like, they can only drop points in three or four. I think three matches, four technically, if they get wins the rest of the time. But like, there's not a lot of margin of error from Miami if they want to make the postseason. Yeah. So no, they have the 25 points while point. we have 32. So they are seven right. points. And, and so like. And you basically want to aim for 43 points to make the playoffs. You know, as, as a line, like, it it varies. It could be as high as 47. But, like, that gives them a very narrow margin given the number of games that they have available. Like, so that could be a very meaningful game for both teams, or it could not by that point. It's a little hard to say. But if the Fire win their next game, I mean, like, they're really back in the thick of it. And then it's kind of like theirs to sort of like play in or play out of um so clock is ticking i mean it's a very forgiving it's a very forgiving schedule like and and like i said like every team that the fire faces have their own problems and flaws miami has problems with their defense like they've been able to paper them up by having you know messy and friends on the other side of the pitch um new england i mean we still don't know what's going on with bruce arena um and so they haven't really had a head coach for six weeks. And as far as I know, the players have been told nothing, which has to be kind of demoralizing. They've just sold their starting goalkeeper, who really was responsible for, I mean, saving them a number of points. So they're kind of like they're in a really good spot, you know, standings wise. But like emotionally, I don't know that they're feeling that great. And they aren't the same team that they were earlier in the season, you know, especially missing. Uh, Georgie Petrovic. So, like, they're a flawed team. Columbus really seems to be on a roll. Like, that probably is going to be the hardest match, but it's a midweek match and, like, people lose focus. Like, Charlotte has a number of problems. They look like a team that's like, it's like every single match you can name for the rest of the fire season. Like, there's, there's issues that those teams have. And the question is, can the fire exploit whatever those issues are? And if they can and they do, like they really still can be back in the playoffs. And the it's a question of getting three to four wins. And the vice versa question is whether the fire can tape up the problems that they have that when other teams are reviewing the tapes can, you know, not break into those player break into those problems. Essentially, can they fix what has been afflicting them for the past four games, especially what happened against DC? So it's not just can the fire fake, you know, really undo or like you know get past what is ailing the other teams can they fix what is ailing themselves two-way street 100 like 100 i mean this team seems to have not had great offensive ideas for a long time and that obviously needs to be fixed you know it, it, the thing is like crazier things have happened than the fire going on a run at this point in the season um you know, here here's a number that I threw out, but it, like around the middle of June. Um, if you just imagine making the playoffs with like a roll of the dice, 
And so like this year in MLS, like nine teams out of 15 in the Eastern Conference make it. In 2010, it was 10 teams out of 14. The other years in between, it was seven teams out of 14. If you imagine a roll of the dice, the, the chance of not rolling a playoff number four times in a row, um, which is what we're talking about since Georg Heights took control of the team, um, is 2.4%. So that says something about the numbers that the fire are, have sort of been playing with just statistically. So they, it is a reasonable possibility for them to make the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. They still need to play to do it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this isn't a roll of the dice kind of thing. Like, they need to work their way in. But it is a very realistic possibility for them to have stuff to play for. for the reasons. Yeah. And, and hey, I know a lot of people are going to think that even if we do make it into the playoffs, even if it's a, like, last seed of the playoffs where we do have to play, like, an away game or something like that, where we'll, we'll just get donked and just be one and done. I feel like that's still an upgrade than to not making it. Because I know I've heard that narrative being said at this point, I'd rather us just miss the playoffs and just be done with it rather than have to endure one more game of us losing or something like that. But at this point, even if we break the drought to a certain degree and get a bit of trickle of progress in there, especially with a new um if hopefully fingers crossed with a new gm that can be the start of something you know better and if very much in the same way of how the bears even though they've had um a fairly not good season last year with the addition of a new gm and just the position that they were in allowed them to just build upon what they have to actually look forward to something. So basically, let's just finish the season on the highest high and build up on that, especially if we do have someone new at the helm that can show, you know, that he knows how to use the utensils and kitchenware in the in the kitchen so that they can cook. Even with the events that have transpired in the past week or so, um, that have us down, um, whether it's stuff like the, um, the fire games or the fact that the lead singer of Smash Mouth and Jimmy Buffett have died. Um, that was a thing, especially Jimmy Buffett. Like, like my entire for you page on TikTok is just people, people breaking the news to their parents who are literally living in Margaritaville. Just wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. may he have a hamburger in paradise. Cheeseburger, rather. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Cheeseburger in paradise. And it and that his heaven has a beach attached to it and that it'll truly be five o'clock. Always. So as always, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, to listening to the Men in Red 97 podcast. As always, thank you, Tim DJ, for joining along on our adventures. Um, as always, we hope that Matt will be back soon. Apparently. Apparently, the, 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 there is good news of him and a possible return that he is, he, is, he is shifting his way through the forests and making his way back to... We have, we have confirmed he's back in the country, so... That is true. He's back away. from Ecuador, yeah. so... Um, and he has been cooking in the background. Um, and I'm definitely sure y'all will be excited to hear what good news he has to bring to the table once he arrives to said table of the Men in Red 97 podcast. So definitely a lot of stuff to look forward to. As always, read the articles that are on meninred97.com. You can find those, of course, by going to meninred97.com or through our social media platforms on Twitter, because I'm not calling it X, or Insta, Facebook, all that fun jazz. And, um... Any final words of wisdom, Tim or DJ? Pity for the gourd. Yes. <laughs> I guess we'll go with that. I'm not sure what that means. All but, right. Uh, that... <laughs> Pity for the gourd, I guess. And so, ladies and gentlemen, as always, come on, you men in red. <laughs> <laughs>